welcome to the Serious Leisure Podcast. My name is Petya Petrova. I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm joined by our regular podcast contributors, Dr. Sam Elkington and Kat Branch. Sam is from Teesside University. He is our Serious Leisure expert. Welcome, Sam. Thanks, Petya. Hello to everybody. We are also joined by Kat. Kat leads the University of the West of England Centre for Music. Welcome, Kat. Hello, Fetia. Great to see you. Hi, Kat. Hi, Sam. We often refer to the University of the West of England as UE or UE Bristol. In this podcast, we share stories about our leisure pursuits, our passions, hobbies and interests. We reflect on our attempts to successfully balance work and leisure time, or maybe not so successfully. And we draw on insights from the vast literature on the topic of serious leisure. We are very excited to welcome today our podcast guest and colleague, Dr. Emmanuel Oduku. Emmanuel is Deputy Head of Department of Applied Sciences at UE Bristol. Welcome, Emmanuel. Thank you, Petya, and thanks, uh, everyone. Good to meet all of you. Today, we also have a second guest whom you've invited today. Could you please introduce our second guest to our audience? Thank you, Petra. I am delighted to uh, welcome Reverend Father Emmanuel Unekojogu, um, and I would uh, invite him on to actually introduce himself. Thank you, Emmanuel. Um, I'm very pleased to be in this small but mighty group today. It's exciting to have such opportunities to mingle, you know, with like minds and people who think in um, not so normal or not so usual ways. Like they already said, my name is Father Emmanuel Unepojo Ogu. I'm a Catholic priest from the Catholic Diocese of Ida, Kogi State, Nigeria. Kogi State is um, part of Central Nigeria. And um, I've been a priest for this is my 10th year running. And this is a very interesting topic. So if I'm I really have a chance to say a little bit and a quick one about myself. Like I already said, I'm a Catholic priest, 10 years running. Um, I have a chance to pray with the people and to occasionally, or in many cases, majorly be involved in the social life of the people, growing the people and making them um, worth their while, uh, you know, adding flavor spiritually, physically, and sometimes economically to the to the economic life of the people by, you know, the charitable act we do that grows them. Then when at some point I was involved in the educational lives of the people, I was um, for quite a short time a vice principal of a Catholic academy for boys and girls. And that was a good run for me. And when I'm not actually priesting, um, what I do outside being a priest is um, I write poetry as leisure. I've actually published um, an anthology. That's a collection of a hundred poems in 2013. And it's called um, Musings of the Pilgrim. So it took poems from every aspect of my life, even involved love poems. And um, that was it for me. It was about my first year in the priesthood. And I took time to literally write poetry as leisure, as fun. Aside that, I, I ride motorcycles, motorbikes, you know, the ones with the big engines. And I enjoy doing that as leisure also. 
I ride motorbikes. I do um, cross countries, five cities in one week, depending on how much time I have. Uh, I'm into dogs. I like dogs. So I learned to train dogs on my own. So in my community, I'm the Caesar Milan of my community. I train dogs for people and also I breed dogs for people. So I don't talk too much as, uh, about myself. That's basically what I do, uh, you know, when I'm not being Father Emmanuel. Thank you for this opportunity again. Welcome, Father Emmanuel. For our guests, um, you may have now realized that we have two Emmanuels in the room. So when it comes to um, our colleague, Dr. Emmanuel Oduku, we are going to um, refer to him as Emmanuel. And we are going to um, refer to our second guest as Father Emmanuel, so that you both be able to differentiate um, between the two, two names. They both bring very different perspectives. So um, our colleague, Dr. Emmanuel Doku, has a different kind of role here at UE. So I would really invite him to also introduce his current role. And briefly, because I know for that current role, we've had lots of conversations about the professional side of Emmanuel's uh, work, and then introduce to us his hobby and what are we here to talk about. Thank you, Petra. I, as Petra introduced me earlier, I'm the Deputy Head of Department in, in Applied Sciences at uh, the University of the West of England, also known as UWI Bristol. Uh, in my day job, I am involved in a lot of um, managing, administration, um, and co-running of a, a large uh, department. And that can go from anything, from my day job could just be anything, just dealing with a lot of uh, random issues that come up in the day, or addressing strategy and developing action plans and going to meetings, lots of meetings and all of those things that you find yourself doing when you're in a manager or a leadership role. Um, I also get involved in a lot of research. So I have PhD students that I supervise in a host of different areas, but a lot of my research is in the area of um, microbiology. So I do a lot of stuff in antimicrobials, antimicrobial agents, antimicrobial resistance, um, working on medical devices, and um, looking at ways to improve the health and well-being of individuals. So these are the things that I do in my research. Um, outside my day job, I, I do not wear a cape, but I do a lot of interesting things. I love poetry. I started writing poetry about 20 years ago, and I think it's one of the transformational things that I do. Um, it's fantastic. It's something I enjoy. Uh, but I also love traveling and photography. So I spent the last few years doing a bit of traveling across the UK just to get some very nice images. And sometimes I travel outside the country for the purpose of just taking pictures. So these are some of my uh, serious leisure, which I hope to uh, share with the audience today. Thank you both. So we have a little bit of insight now about your different hobbies. We are here primarily to talk about your poetry and your poetry work. And this podcast, we ask our guests to share with us their origin stories. I'm using terminology from superhero movies. Um, so what is your origin story, Emmanuel, in terms of poetry? Just tell us about your poetry history and poetry development, where it started, how it started, and where we currently find you? Um, I, I started writing poetry 
about 20, just over 20 years ago. And I wasn't really someone who studied literature and the sort of subject. So in terms of the technicalities of poetry, I never actually started from that point. I just started poetry as a way to communicate this sort of inner thoughts that I had and needed an outlet for. And somehow I wrote a few lines and wrote a few more lines and wrote a few more lines and it just went on from there. Um, but I had a period, I think somewhere over a 10 year period where I did not really write anything, but I got challenged to write again, I think about six years ago when I started uh, running a, an event, a festival sort of event, which was called Africa Week. And it was really one of the catalysts for me to really revisit my writing again, because I realized that the poetry wasn't just for me to share, just for me to actually put down on paper about the things that I enjoyed or the things that I thought. It, be, it was something that actually needed to be communicated to other people and to other spaces and to other communities because the nature of what I wrote in itself wasn't just about me, was actually about the stories of other people or telling the stories of other people. So that was actually the, the catalyst and the driver for me to actually really start this serious leisure. Thanks, Emmanuel. Father Emmanuel, can you tell us about how your poetry journey started and, and how, it, how it developed? Like Emmanuel said, it was almost the same story. I've always been interested in words and I've always been interested in things that are not so normal, things that are not so um, out there. I like crack, you know, um, crack stuff, you know, but I, was, I wasn't able to to do it in the techie side so poetry somehow found it interesting maybe it was like in my fourth year in college or fourth, third or fourth year in college so um i just started i just got interested i actually did literature in, co in college english literature but i was more interested in the poetic aspect of it so um i just picked that up and at the end of college i had written about 16, 17 poems, you know, I started thinking independently and basically I took it off from there. I remember going to a friend's house and I saw his older brother's um, poem book. I remember the, the first poem I, I read from that book that got my attention practically, you know, and it was, um, it was it's titled Your Present Absence. I never forget that. I would never forget that. You know, and that caught my attention. I, I think so many years after, maybe 10, 11, 13 years after, I did a version of that. And since then, I've been writing poetry, but I write um, what you call probably divergent poetry. You know, I try to break all the rules of the poetry. I try to write my own poems. And I think literally poetry for me is a dumb sight of my feelings, of my emotions, of my inclinations of my thoughts so poetry as a hobby is just having some space uh, you know it's like a journal you know and it's like it creeps for me where i could hide my feelings and see what i want to say and only if you can understand and not everyone will understand it so somehow somehow it became a hobby and it became my thing it became just what it is for me poetry so interesting, Father Emmanuel, that what you are describing there feels like a deeply personal experience and almost something 
private in a way so uh, like a you yes. described a, a place where you can kind of say what you you know your innermost thoughts or your what you're really feeling and having a safe space to process those I wonder yes. when was the first time or in what context then did you decide to share some of this you know quite private personal experience with other people yes it was sometime in November 2013 so um, the parish where I was, there were four of us who were priests. So it was a Saturday morning, early November. I, could, I can't remember the days. It was a Saturday morning. So I had the book with me, my poem book, you know, and I forgot it at table. And the other priest who was a professor in the university, you know, somehow flipped through it. And I said, then I had lots of poems, lots and lots of poems. And I was wondering, you wrote these? And I like, I was quite embarrassed. Then I, at the same time, I felt all right because I knew you couldn't understand whatever was there because it was cryptic language. The Caliph said, and he was like, no, you need to put this out. This is beautiful. You have to put it out. Then I said, why not? So I found a publisher and I put it out. And there were people who loved the kind of radical poems I wrote and the cryptic nature of my poem and they were like why not you know publish and in three weeks we had brought out like a thousand five hundred copies of my my poems you know a hundred poems titled musings of a pilgrim i have always known the name you were just the title what i wrote on the back of the poem book musings of a pilgrim my thoughts as i journey through the world as i journey through life you know so in a short while, I didn't have to do a lot of editing because they wouldn't ask you to change anything since it's poetry. It's quite personal. So that's how that book came out. And here we are today. It was not deliberate. Somebody just found me out. I'm, I'm pausing here because I have a, a really funny anecdote of being a 10-year-old um, and my uh, English literature <laughs> students uh, deciding to submit a poem of mine um, without telling me for a local newspaper. And I stumbled onto that. It's a really strange experience. My poetry hasn't journeyed beyond that point, so there's no point of comparison here within that level of a 10-year-old musings and, and the, the, the depth and breadth of, of what our guests are, um, are bringing into that. But it's, it's, it's interesting how sometimes we kind of um, go out there in a different way. Which reminds me, Emmanuel, how did your journey um, develop into, when we think about that internal voice, external expressions of your voice, writing for yourself and then writing for an audience. Could, could you tell us how that worked for you? Um, I think the, when I reflect on, on my journey with regard poetry, um, initially a lot of it was just within, it was for myself because there's always that feeling of, am I actually writing real poetry? Is what I'm actually doing poetry? Does this really make sense? And will people not laugh at this when they see it? Or things like that. So you actually start that process, So which is what, what it was for me. Uh, but as it kept on developing, um, on the other occasion with the people I lived with then, they might just start, they might have just stumbled across one thing and then read it and just find it. It was just weird to them because it was just something which like, well, how do you actually pull this sort of stuff together? Where do you get the sort of the words together? How do you weave the words in this way? So at that point I realized, okay, maybe there is something here. Um, and I also remember, I think about 18 years ago, there used to be this website called poetry.com. 
which a lot of people globally used to just submit a poem to. Uh, you submit a poem to, uh-huh, I can see. <laughs> you submit a poem to, and um, and I did that. Uh, that time I used to just think, okay, well, I'll just put something there. I can go online and just type the name and I'll read it and see what I put in, in that space. And a couple of friends of mine, actually we used to just once in a while go there, read different people's poems. Uh, but over time, it just became a thing of just writing, just producing. It was just writing and just writing and writing. Uh, but it got to a stage where I think it was over the last seven years, we've gone through a global change, I think, in the world at the moment. And for me, that really inspired me to say, right, a lot of what I write about, because of the nature of the sort of things that I sometimes write, it couldn't just stay hidden anymore. It needed to come out. And because I do a lot of, I read a lot of uh, literature, I read a lot of uh, novels, I read, um, I've always read books of, I think the kind of books I was reading when I was eight, nine, 10 are the sort of books that a lot of people probably read when they're 30 or so. So my brain had already sort of started challenging a lot of things around community, society, social justice. So these were the things that over the last, as we've seen in the world over the last six years, were issues that have come out even more. And I felt that actually some of the things that I was writing in those themes needed to now come out, needed to be uh, to be shared widely. So I, I, and when you have a few friends who write poetry and who might actually have public platforms, one of the things they try to do is force you to actually read some of these things in public spaces. So I found myself sharing one or two things on radio and uh, in a couple of festivals as well. So yeah. Funny you should say that. We may well ask you at the end of this podcast to um, read some of your poems in this public space. So for our listeners, um, uh, we'll, we'll put a bit of an Easter egg of poetry at the end of this um, episode. I'm interested in the um, poetry.com angle because Father Emmanuel became very animated, <laughs> Emmanuel, when you, you mentioned that. So Father Emmanuel, can you tell us about how you came across uh, poetry.com? This is not an advertisement. I'm just interested in that online community space. Um, poetry.com as at that time was just in your face, little, little adverts and the, the internet in then was not, you know, as crazy as it, it is now. So if you have something running that time, it was literally just your space. If you, po you did poetry, it was just poetry for you. So I think I could remember, I can't remember now, but I know I stumbled on it. And for a long time, I think, I think I still have it for a long time, I still used to have it, you know, in part of my bio, you just click and it takes you straight to poetry.com. You know, I had a few, a few poems there. I just stumbled upon, what I say by chance, but became really interesting. It had these animations where you could do stuff, you know, and it gives you back what you did. It was very exciting to see that, you know, you created something and you had a few pressings, a community of like minds, you know, interacting with it. You know, I didn't have a lot of um, opportunity to put it out because in my community, not a lot of persons, you know, appreciated poetry then. You know, they couldn't understand why you were doing poetry, something people don't understand. But putting it out there and relating with people who understand, it was really exciting. You know, it was my space. It was my thing. It was poetry.com give you a community that understood whatever it is you wanted to do. Thank you. I think this brings us nicely to Emmanuel's poetry group because there's something around doing poetry by yourself and maybe sharing it out 
in the world and there's something about being in a group of poets and working and supporting each other so Emmanuel would you tell us a little bit about how your poetry group came to be and how your poetry work developed not necessarily in and of itself but as as a space in your life through that poetry group okay um I think with I said with every disappointment you can always get a blessing out of it um we know the impact of COVID um, in, 20, in the year 2020 was something which affected everyone globally. And sometime around May 2020, I could tell being at home two months in, a lot of people were starting to struggle. I think we probably just assumed it was going to be something a month away and a month and then we'll go back to work and we'll get back to normal. Two months in, we were still at home uh lockdowns and all of that and i remember just starting a conversation with one of my friends and saying right how just the checking in how are things going and how are you dealing with it and you started to hear from the conversations people were starting to feel drained people were starting to feel tired and i thought at that point well it will be useful to have a space because we're all at home now it's useful to actually start a community where we start to interact and share stuff and somehow my friend said, well, you used to do poetry and all of that stuff. You used to actually share this poetry with us, all of those that maybe we can just start this conversation again and see if we can revive something. Uh, and when we get back in a couple of months, we get back to normal, we might try and do a hangout or something. I said, no problem. And that was how the conversation actually started. Weeks in, we were still sitting at home. And one day I just thought, OK, I think I'll just get the conversation started. And then started looking at looking for friends who did any form of writing. So it wasn't actually just meant to be poetry at the beginning. It's any form of writing. Let's bring the writing into that space. Let's just critique ourselves. Let's just get conversations going. And um, that was how um, we started meeting on a Sunday afternoon. And it's been like that since July 2020. And uh, our most recent uh, hangout was on Sunday. Um, on Sunday afternoon. So we've done that almost every Sunday since July 2020. And it just happened that since actually June 2020, and it's happened that um, I think a major catalyst for a lot of people uh, were the incidents that happened at that time to the deaths of Ahmad Arbery, COVID, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the protests. So we needed, I think it was very clear that there was a need for an outlet. And for when you have people who write, you need an outlet. Otherwise, a lot of things happen in your head. Uh, and you need somewhere to actually pour all of that out. And it's been a blessing because I think a lot of those in the group um, were going through quite a lot of difficulties at the time and looking for a space and a way to communicate that. Thanks, Emmanuel. I, I'm, I'm sat here as ever. I think uh, regular listeners will, will know that I'm taking notes and there's plenty of them here. So um, I like, as soon as you said the word conversation, my brain kind of really kind of locked onto that and it's what this what you're describing there is that the idea of a collective conversation yeah so that community-based conversation and mm -hmm. your your want or need for an outlet as you say because th this is quite an individualistic thing so that collectivity i think is really really interesting and how i i guess i'm i'm going to make a comment i'm going to ask you to comment back so it's more of an observation uh because it's something that both yourself and father Emmanuel have kind of picked up on and this idea of obviously poetry, you know, a form of expression, but uh, certainly telling stories, not necessarily your own stories, but, you know, your interpretation or reading of, of the you know, stories that you're seeing in the world around you. But how much of this is about telling stories and how much of this is about, uh, you've mentioned space a couple of times. 
And I think it was uh, Father Emmanuel who mentioned the idea of you know poetry as a journal, which I love. So this idea of you know journaling my you know life's experience, my observations of life, and I mean we're going to get into Father Emmanuel's divergent poetry in a minute, I'm sure. Um, but how much of it is about telling those stories as an outlet, and how much of it is about a space for self-reflection? I'm smiling because the name of the group is Can We Talk Poetry? So it actually gives, so it's about, it's about telling stories. So what we actually said at the beginning was that we were going to be divergent, that we were going to be different, that we were not going to follow any rules. We were going to tell our stories through our writing. So basically what we do in the space is that we tell our stories. We tell our stories through our writing and however it shows up on the day, that is what your story is. But what we also agreed as a community and what we had to also speak to ourselves about is that we are not just going to tell our stories to ourselves, but we are going to tell stories for our time. So that this period that we're dealing with, this period that we're in, we are telling collective stories. We're telling stories of the things that other people are sharing with us, the things that we're feeling, the things we're experiencing, the things we're seeing, we're telling all of those stories. And we bring those stories into the platform, into the space. We share what the stories are through our writing. We talk about those stories and how we're dealing with those stories. And we look for ways to either unwind. So we have themes sometimes. So we actually have something unwinding from those situations or healing from those situations. So we actually bring all of those elements into the conversation. And, so, and sometimes one of the exciting parts of what we do is that we ch so we're constantly challenging each other in terms of our writing. So there's a developmental aspect of the conversation here, which is not just about coming in and saying what's actually pressing or pertinent to you at that time. It's this is your writing. We critique the writing. Then we, sh we share the stories. We critique the writing. And then we enable further development of the individuals and the collective. So we're doing all of that at the same time. Okay. I have no idea where to start with that. That is absolutely wonderful. So I love this idea of commentary on the historical present. That's a, that's a term that I'm familiar with through my, my social science research. I don't know if, something, if, if you've come across that, but that historical present, comment, commentating, you know, not letting things pass us by, actually taking notice of, of what, what's going on. And that idea is that collective sense-making and exploration. But what's really coming out of that is this idea of craft. You know, so you're talking about kind of collective commentary on not just what people are saying and what people are seeing they're saying, but the craft of expression, poetry as craft. And Father Emmanuel, I wonder whether that chimes or resonates with yourself in terms of your own kind of development of the craft of poetry. Is that something, and particularly in that collective kind of aspect and sharing your work and learning through that sharing? I think it, it just came, you know, like I said, it's, um, you know, a collection of people who um, were thinking, I think we found poetry as an escape route, you know, found poetry as a, it was not just about the craft initially. It was not just about the craft, if I got your question well. It was not just about the craft. It was more about, it was more about finding somewhere to stay safe. You know, it's like it was poetry. You could say it was a bunker, you know, like um, COVID was, um, you know, an atomic bomb. 
you know, that was detonated. So we found poetry as a bunker. You know, we just hunkered down there. It was not just about, for us, we're not thinking of craft. We just had a story to tell. We just had, you know, um, it was warmth. It was an ice age. The COVID um, time was an ice um, age. So we had to huddle together to get warmth. We had to find a solution to try to answer questions that the world was not willing to answer at then. So since no one was opposing us, since no one was going to ask us why, we just went ahead you know, to answer the existing questions and now they have become relevant. So I think it was not just about the craft. It was not just about, I think it was more about first finding comfort then our comfort, you know, or the comfort we found made impact, you know, and it's still making making impact and I'm sure it's going to make more. So that's, if I understood your question well, that's what kind of resonates with me. Thank you. I wonder, um, uh, Father Emmanuel, um, I'm just, the, the, the power in your analogy there of that, that the safety of the, of, the, of the poetry space you've talked about, um, and that, now that being a collective space, if we were to contrast that with where you started with your book that no one had seen, you know, yes. and, uh, <laughs> and it was discovered on the table and you were outed yes. as a poet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really interested in what that, what that personal experience has been like, you know, that writing space where you started, that secret closet you know, yes. where you were writing those poems just for yourself as a, as a private space of expression. How does it feel now the writing has become this completely a different um, collective voice that you're contributing to in this meaning-making process with others? What's that experience like for you, thinking now, contrasting to then? I feel like Superman, you know. You know, where, yeah, I feel like Superman. I feel like my own hero, you know, knowing that your pain, you know, can become somebody else's comfort, you know, that your, your darkness can become somebody else's light. You know, those things I, I, you know, I started hiding, not because I was ashamed of them, but it was my own comfort. But now knowing that it may, we, I'm making impact, you know, sometimes it makes me feel you know, very um, invulnerable. It makes me feel like like a rock. It makes me feel like, you know, tall, like I have, you know, my hammer and I can save the world anytime just by what I write. Sometimes it's dark. So I help people, you know, um, now relate with topics like death, like the afterlife, with pain, you know, things people run away from, knowing that they are not alone. If I ever try to, you know, explain it to them, you know, I think poetry has made me more expressive. I can attend to people more. It makes being a priest even better because I can express myself more without always recursing to the Bible. You know, I'll not always tell you Bible stories, but because, you know, it, it makes me more powerful, you know, in, in relating and helping people because I like to help people not as a virtue, but as a hobby. You know, I, 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 I grew up you know, helping people. I could give out the last of my stuff and like, oh, wow, I messed up. But I already helped somebody, you know, but I think that's how poetry as it is now, being outed and all of that then, you know, they're like, oh, I'm not just Father Emmanuel, I'm a poet. I'm not just um, a poet, but I'm a divergent one. 
one of our friends will call me a duck. She calls me a duckling because I could write about anything <laughs> and everyone and write it in the most painful way. Like I try to tell the truth. You know, I don't try to, you know, put the icing on it so I feel better. I just say it, but you just know that it has to be said, but not, you know, it was painfully said, but the pain is true and it's bearable. I think that's, you know, how the, the, the whole thing goes for me. Thank you. I'm really struck by the words helping people and helping people in your professional capacity and helping people through your poetry. Um, and I'll just bring Emmanuel here because uh, I know of some of Emmanuel's work professionally about helping and supporting colleagues in his department. So maybe help is not the right word, but there's a lot about supporting and growing and developing others. Um, and whether there's also a link of that idea of helping people through the poetry group or through the voice that you're finding in your poetry. I really, really want you to, to talk to us about this, Emmanuel. Um, I think sometimes what we end up committing ourselves to is based on who we are. I think a lot of times it's based on who we are as individuals internally. And my way of life is, and my philosophy in life is, if I'm the only person doing well, then I've failed. Uh, but if everyone is around me is doing well, then I'm successful. Um, so in my professional life, going even coming into the role that I'm in, my first thought is not about how do I go to the next space. My first thought is, how does everyone around me actually thrive? And what are the levers that I can use to ensure that everyone around me is doing okay, is successful? Because no, no organization can survive if everyone in the organization, apart from the person leading the organization, is doing poorly. Um, and I think that's something which has always been my approach to things. And looking at it in terms of the group itself, as Father Manuel could, can attest to this, um, and as writers, you find that you have your top moments and you have your low moments. There are times we go into the space and some people tell, will tell us, well, nothing is coming through. There's no flow. I've not written in a while and everything else. And what we do as a collective is that we, we, we encourage, we support, we band together, we enable each other, and we challenge each other. One of the things that we do, uh, we are very, very challenging space. Uh, and that's because actually until you are challenged sometimes, you don't really know how good you are or what you can bring out. And that's the same thing with professional spaces. You need to be challenged for the best to come out of you. Otherwise, we coast. We can coast through life and we can coast through experiences, not really knowing how far we can push ourselves or how far we can go. So I think that's that's something which we're seeing in the space. Um, there's a lot of uh, support, uh, growing others, helping others, enabling others. All of that is part and parcel of that that community. I get, I, we're in danger of getting overly technical here. How much of this? This is about learning to become comfortable with your own kind of vulnerability. So it's just a thought that came, came across my, my, my thought process as you were talking there. Is that okay? Yeah. And, and it, it kind of chimes with what Father Emmanuel was talking about as well in terms of that bunkering down and collectively working things out and being comfortable with that discomfort, being comfortable with that 
I guess, vulnerability, because there's vulnerability in terms of, you know, my place in the world and what's mm-hmm. going on around me, but also the vulnerability of, you know, this is my work. It's very personal to me. It's an expression of my own kind of emotional interpretation of, of, of this particular experience. There's a vulnerability in the sharing of that. And I, I just wondered whether, whether that was something that... Maybe at the beginning, that might have been maybe early on in my along the journey of writing poetry that could have possibly been there but i because of a lot of the literature that i've read and a lot of the writers that i have read their work i had come to an understanding that even those that we never associated with poetry communicated through poetry martin luther king is one of those so if you don't if you've read a lot of martin luther king stuff you would see he actually writes a lot of poetry in his work uh, Bois, uh if you read about uh, Chinwa Chebe, who is a very well-known uh, writer, he was actually a poet. So if you read a lot of his work, you see poetry in there. And as I read about them, I thought, actually, these guys are not just writing books that we read. They're not just writing stories. They're storytellers, but they tell stories in different formats. And the moment I was able to recognize that, that thing around dealing with vulnerability was moved to one side. It became about telling a story, telling stories and telling stories for others. So I recognize that as a living being, I have a place in the world. And as a living being, I have a choice what I do with it. And I have a choice who I share that with. And if I choose not to say anything about it or choose not to share anything with others, that's a choice I made. If in 30, 40 or 50 years or in one day, breath goes, I had a choice. So my choice is I will use those lines, I will use those words, and there will be a generation that would listen to that conversation or would read that conversation or would share that conversation. That's really from my point of view. That's fascinating, uh, Emmanuel, it really is. And I get that journey as well. I absolutely right. And it, that, again, that form of expression, mm. you know, these are, these are really quite complex societal issues, yeah. challenges with a lot of historical significance. And I think, again, and that means of expression, the alternative almost means of expression is important here. Father Emmanuel, I wonder whether th- this idea of vulnerability, particularly in your experience of how you use your poetry, I guess, to navigate and negotiate the work that you're involved in, I wonder whether you could comment on that. Well, in my early years, or like in my final years when I was becoming a priest, because of this bit of divergence, they thought I was different. They thought I was troubled. They thought I didn't understand what it meant to become a priest here. Yeah? So I had to go for a psychological assessment and eventually counseling. You know, I couldn't understand why I had to, like, it was my first experience. So why would I need counseling? Why would I need, you know, a psychological assessment? But it became the best thing of my life, the best moment of my life, because the older priest, who was also a psychologist and a therapist, a shrink, you can call if you will say, you know, made me read a book. And the book is titled The Wounded Healer. You know, The Wounded Healer. And I got to understand that, you know, if you've been wounded before and you healed, even if you've not healed from your wound because the experience you have or you had from your, from your wound or the experience you had from your wound, you're able to, uh, to heal others because you understand. So it's not that we were not vulnerable. We felt naked. Yeah. You know, like in the olden days, the stone age men had to go really naked so they can huddle together so that 
Now their, their nakedness brought warmth. So we, we, the vulnerability is there, but it helped us to stay warm. You know, like you said, initially, we're like, oh, who's this guy? Who's that guy? Do I need to open up? But eventually we found out that we all wanted the same thing. And so we just let go. So the vulnerability is there, but we are not paying so much attention to it. We're just using, I think our vulnerability became a weapon. It became a weapon, our fears, our worries, our, our pain, and all of that, you know, the, 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 the wound we had physically and, you know, psychologically, mentally, you know, emotionally, you know, even spiritually, you know, all became a weapon. So vulnerability as it is became our weapon that, you know, we used to express ourselves. It's just um, um, a way to achieve whatever it is we wanted to achieve. And I think it's becoming, is a perfect thing for us. It was a good thing to be vulnerable. We're ashamed, we're afraid, we're scared, we're scared. But now it has made us stronger because we know that's the, the central thing, you know, for all of us. We're all vulnerable. We're all naked. But that nakedness became warmth. I think that's that basically. So I was struck by when both Father Emmanuel, you were talking and Emmanuel, you were describing the process that writing for you is, is underpinned with this, with this strong, altruistic compassionate quality of wanting to help other people and uh father emmanuel you described that you know helping people for you was not a virtue but a hobby which read to me like uh that sense of um helping people not from feeling that you should or that it came from a duty or an obligation but but a, a genuine intrinsic passion and desire to help other people you know we choose to do our hobbies they're things that we do for love and enjoyment and so that idea of helping linked to love and enjoyment. So I suppose I'd, I'd really like to understand more about how it is that for, for you, your serious leisure, this hobby, this writing, it seems um, inextricably linked with, a, with this sort of altruistic force. Um, to, what, to what degree is that, is that really the driving motivation now of what, of what your writing represents for you? I think it's it is the driving force. I think um, I think when you start writing, sometimes it you start and you're testing things. But what what has driven a lot of what what I do, and even just within the community that we we're in, it's that need to ensure that the things that we hear. So every day we get to hear people's stories. We hear if you listen to the news, you hear there's a lot of negative stories. Um, there's always something that is not going on right somewhere else. So we're always hearing people's stories. And it's what we do. It's whether we become passive to reality, whether we become passive to people's experiences, whether we become passive to people's pain, or whether we find ways to communicate our pain, but also communicate the pain that others are going through, the realities of others. And that comes from a very strong um, precept which is love. If you don't love other people, you don't care about their pain, you don't care about their reality, you don't care about the experience. If you love others, you will look for ways to try and bring that supportive that supportive arm, um, care, you would. And when you find that you can write, the thing about writing is it is also a gift. It is not just 
something that you wake up and then you just start putting things down on paper. It's a gift. So you use a gift and something which is in itself a a direction, a directive. Loving loving people is actually a, a clear directive, human directive. We can't exist in this world very peacefully without it. So when you can combine those two things, love and a gift or the talent that you have, suddenly what you have is a force. And it's how you use that force. Uh, you can use your force for good or for evil. And it's how you're able to use that. And when you start, and what we found even in the space is when you start telling the stories of others, you find a similar, you start to notice that people start to connect with those things. So sometimes someone reads a poem and everyone stops and we're like, that's exactly what I was feeling yesterday, or that's what I was thinking yesterday, or this is the story someone told me last week. And it be, and you're literally telling people's experiences and telling people's stories. So yeah, it comes, it comes from a much deeper place rather than just the the fun of writing or just the the skill set or the craft of writing. It comes from a much deeper place. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can really feel that. Um, I um ha- at the same time I wonder how is it as a group or as individuals that you still keep a sort of creative playful quality to what otherwise might feel like you know quite a quite a weighty you know important serious goal <laughs> that you're involved with there how does that work for you when i think about it i think about even the the theme of this podcast serious leisure i actually fits in very well with that because the, it is having a responsibility because it's in effect it's like carrying a responsibility but it's also recognizing that in all of these things in life you still need to be with a smile and have fun so it's bringing those two together and one of the ways that we do it is um some we've we've sort of revived it again we do this thing where someday during the week we have a uh what we call our firestorm where we decide that we commit each other in a very creative way to drop in two lines of four line poetry and everyone in that space has to respond to it. And it could be about anything and anything. And it could just be about the fact that we're even having this conversation. And it could just be that we strike the, whoever lit the match, everyone brings the fire to the space. And that's really how we sort of keep ourselves entertained, but also keeps that creativity alive as well. And helps people to think about style, also helps people think about, you don't have to overthink the set of writing because it's already in there. So you just bring out what is in there. So it's bringing out the stuff that's in you. This um, reminds me, I just finished listening to an audio book by Pippa Evans and that is titled Improv Your Life. Um, so she's um, an improv theater actress. And she was talking about not trying to be too clever and too creative and that your normal is enough and actually can speak and resonate with other people or it can be very different to others and be creative in and of itself so that would be an idea of just talking about your normal Emmanuel in that um in that brainstorming exchange is is exactly that talking about the thing in front of you and yet it can be mind-blowingly profound but also quite playful and cheeky depending on the tone and where the conversation goes that really struck me and resonated with me we are approaching our kind of final minutes of this podcast and i want to talk about uh, i think sam used the word logistics earlier (laughs) but i really wanted to acknowledge because we have uh, recorded now a couple of episodes in our season three 
and I'm not sure if Sam and Kat would agree with me, but there is this theme about COVID being an actually a catalyst um, for your hobby and leisure, as opposed to a barrier to your hobby and leisure. Um, and of course, we have Father Emmanuel joining us from Nigeria. So there's also a catalyst for creating a global community in a particular way that maybe you wouldn't have had the time or the inclination to do if we had our full normal, in, in quotation marks, mm -hmm. lives prior to COVID. Can we just attend to that a little bit, Father Emmanuel? As a catalyst, well, um, like some say, they say in troubled times, like power. You know, I read one time, when a man, generically, or a woman, you know, find themselves in the corridors of power, to bring out either the best of them or the worst of them. So COVID being a catalyst brought out, you know, the worst in people and the best in some. So we didn't all get the same results. Or some didn't get enough help you know, to bring out the best in them. And some got lucky when they brought out the worst in them. Everyone around them found and discovered that it brought out the worst in them and they really got help. So COVID as a catalyst steered the waters and we just knew what was available. It gave us options. So it was left for us to choose. And for example, some of us chose to, you know, um, make the best of our vulnerabilities, make the best of our fears, make the best of our pain. It was very scary, I must confess, and I'll do that shamelessly. During the COVID um, the lockdown, I actually really doubted my priesthood because I couldn't understand like, okay, what am I doing? Nobody's coming to church. Nobody's saying, um, I think luckily for me, I, I live in a, uh, a more religious environment. So even though in doubting that, I quickly found solutions. Myself and other priests who were around were able to, you know, be together, you know, and we did exercises. We thank, thank God for the internet. We had challenges and all of that. At some point, I trekked aimlessly. I thought I was exercising, but I walked aimlessly for 19 kilometers. That was a long walk, you know. So it puts you in that space where so many things come up. So you now have to settle down and see. So some of us were lucky enough in the religious setting, were blessed enough to, to find out who we truly, we truly are. I got a chance to rethink my priesthood and to connect with those who thought like me. And that's why, for example, I'm here today. Yeah. Those are the things that came up with the COVID you know, as a catalyst. Thank you. Thank you. Emmanuel, how did that work for you? And how did that work for you in one of the busiest time in academia? Because <laughs> uh, we're all scrambling to survive COVID and move to teaching online and as deputy head of department, that can be quite a challenging or just simply as an academic, that was quite a challenging time. So how did the COVID catalyst thing work for you, but also how did balancing the demands of work in the COVID environment work for you too? <laughs> There's lots of works in this sentence. I hope uh, our listeners would allow us that. That's okay. Um, I think it was it was a very 
anyone who says it was it was easy, I think at the beginning would be would just be uh, being on, uh, dishonest somehow, uh, because it was very difficult for everyone. I think it's a blessing in disguise, as one of um, as Emmanuel, as Father Emmanuel said, it's a blessing in disguise because it forced us to stop. I think for the first time we were just not doing stuff that we just did every day. It became okay being intentional about what we wanted to do. If you wanted to exercise, you were going to exercise because you didn't have any other choice. You were going to be sat in there at your house, being in front of a computer, and you needed to go outside. You probably forced people to uh, interact with neighbors that they probably never spoke to because suddenly you're now standing in the garden or outside somewhere you've seen someone uh, walking across who you've probably seen a hundred times and never said hello to. And I think for me, that was one of the things that COVID did. Getting us into the space, it was the it was a huge catalyst because sometimes because of how busy we get, we can we can think about things we want to do, but never getting around to doing them. Having that opportunity to sit in front of the computer and just be on the phone, you're constantly on the phone to people now because you didn't have a choice. You you could either speak to them on the phone, you never spoke to anyone, or speak to them on Teams or Zoom, or you never spoke to anyone. Um, and I think just having that opportunity to reflect on where life was, because as I think it just be to be reminded, I think a lot of people probably need to be reminded that it wasn't just the fact that we we're in lockdown, people were losing their lives regularly at that time. So it was a very difficult time. So trying to find ways to stay alive, because actually this wasn't just about the fact that you're worried about your life, you're worried about family, you're worried about people you knew, you were hearing stories every day, and we needed something to help us just remind ourselves that it was going to be okay. It was just that thing, it's going to be okay. Otherwise, it, it was very easy for people to fall into despair at that time. And I think this was really a powerful catalyst, not just a cat, but a powerful catalyst to just help us remind ourselves that there was still going to be tomorrow or that tomorrow would be okay in a way. Okay, so Father Emmanuel, um, would you be happy to read us maybe a short piece of your work? Uh, you can introduce it in any way you like. Um, and it would yeah. be fantastic to actually hear some of the poetry that you write. Thank you. Yes. Um, I wrote this one. You must, you all may have heard about the NSAS protests in Nigeria in 2020, you know, and all of that. So I wrote this one that time uh, with regard to the young people and how we are not being heard because we refuse to make ourselves heard, you know. So it's titled um, The Mutes, you know, The Mutes. Thank you. Silent Hosannas. Hungry hyenas, muted angels, dreary mongrels, pottering, littering, loitering the streets of heaven in search of a safe haven, bent double, real trouble, the hour gone sore, raise a fight, shine your light. Tell your truth, fight for glory, now or never, as forever. Spill no blood, yet bring the flood. Sink, sinking as lead, drowning the undead, now or never, as forever. 
your uh, poetry is so direct. <laughs> I know you talked about um, uh, that, you know, that your uh, work is obscure or perhaps not always, you know, when, when your poetry book was first discovered, it wasn't too bad because there was a sense of uh, a cryptic quality to it. That was absolutely a stunning piece of work and actually very, very direct cutting if I could say I can see why you're um you said someone called you the darkling that makes sense to me hearing yes. hearing you speak thank you for sharing that Emmanuel could I ask you to share a piece of your work with us as we wrap up today okay um mine is slightly longer than his and it's called virtual reality and in the line with a lot of what we've just been discussing it is the new normal the new reality living in this world of virtual reality Connected faces from far-reaching spaces. Connected faces from far-reaching places, bottom-downs in PJs, short and summing-odd spaces. Waking up to Zoom, Blue Jeans and Microsoft Teams. Cranking up the miles from endless orations and narrations. Hiding behind the off button of the video icon to hide away the grains lurking in the beards, need a narration. Piling on the pounds and growing into a robust waistline from the sweetness discovered in lockdown from banana bread the welcome distraction to keep the kids from losing patience. Now a regular routine as the countdown continues due to the corona dread. The daily excitement, now the odd 30 minutes dog walking, tick-tocking and daddy dancing to a virtual gallery or banging pots and pans Thursday nights on the renewed praise for the health workers shining bright. The now forgotten lot waiting behind the lines for breadcrumbs unprotected from governments continuing in its failings, disaffected, making a mockery of its policies and indecision, lockdowns to restrictions, masking to a mask and delusions of grandeur, leaving faces to hide without recognition, hidden behind the walls of affliction, personal sacrifices for collective salvation, mercilessly picked off by contagion, leaving the populace suffering with post-traumatic stress disorders, waking in sweat to visions of a second wave and rising numbers of new graves. Now we wait in hope for healing from a micro-messenger to provide immunity, saving community for many a breadwinner, Wake me up from this crazy dream, for like you, I hope we are not stuck in a world perpetually fighting a malicious entity while learning to dance in virtual reality. For our audience, cat just mouth wow. <laughs> um, thank you both. Um, this was such a lovely way. I think lovely ways are such an understatement of uh, such a great, amazing uh, way to, to, to end this conversation to give uh, our audience a bit of taste of what we've actually been talking about, because it's, it's, uh, it's rare that we can do that for you. Um, hopefully we've managed that in an episode with two musicians as well. Just give a little bit of insight of what we're actually talking about. It has been such great pleasure and privilege to talk to both of you, Dr. Emmanuel Aduku and Father Emmanuel Oneku Ojo Ogu. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your conversation. Thank you for sharing your art with us. Thank you to our regular podcast contributors, Kat Branch and Sam Elkington, and to our wider podcast team, Julia Denman and Helga Gano-Studier. Thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about leisure, work and well-being and how we can all engage with our leisure seriously. <laughs>